Brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science. Guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. Welcome to another episode of Honest Money. We're uh, we're talking about the, the part of the investment market that's other than probably re- residential real estate, the biggest part of investment markets, and and one attracts attracts I think the least amount of attention from uh, from people like me in, in you know when we're when we're on podcasts or on radio and stuff uh, because m- maybe to be honest we don't understand it well enough and 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 we're not intelligent enough to explain it so so I thought well uh, um, I can own it now I'm not bright enough to explain it but I can bring in some some heavyweight backup and and I've decided uh, to to bring in and, and that wasn't a weight joke Conway but uh, but I brought in some heavyweight uh, uh, backup here uh, Conway Williams has been with us before he's head of credit at Prescient Investment Management. And then he's brought in Sajad Ahmed from uh, Prescient as well. And he's uh, what they call a quant analyst. Uh, Sajad, we're going to start with what on earth is a quant analyst? Uh, I've pretty much made Conway's life a lot easier by crunching the numbers for him. Um, but at Prescient, we are a systematic data-driven house. And with that, you need someone or a team of people rather to then take all of the data that comes in from your various sources and then do some analysis and some research then hopefully try and turn that into um, like a tradable investment signal. Um, so my job essentially is take all of that in, see how that applies to the credit space uh, or more broadly the fixed income space, and then see if we can then use that to make money for our clients at the end of the day. Okay, so so for for those of us out there that, that aren't the best at maths, that, that's what you're telling us, is you you know how to make numbers sing and, and find a, a, a story and a kind of a... a investment opportunity either to buy or to avoid uh, in the numbers? Uh, well, we try. We try. We try. Yeah. <laughs> so I think if you just, just take one step back, right? We, we're operating in the investment world. And in that investment world, you need to be able to have those signals to either buy, sell, or hold. Generally, in a or in a traditional house, what you would see is we'll, you'll have analysts who are sitting there at Excel, behind an Excel spreadsheet, crunching numbers and the likes. That is the way that I was raised in terms of my formal training and the likes. Now we've got guys like Sajid who come with a much more statistical and mathematical background. Also, I have ability to code. So if you're just thinking it in terms of prescience DNA, we are largely a quantitative house, more of a systematic um, investment house now. And what that means is we don't want somebody to be sitting behind an Excel for two, three weeks crunching numbers. We want to build systems and tools that are repetitively or able to be used repeatedly, uh, be more efficient in terms of how we crunch the numbers so that, again, we can go through more investment opportunities quicker. Because, again, we've got this quantitative models and research methodologies and also the systems and the tools that allow us to effectively go through probably about 120 million data points per day that we analyze. And imagine doing that through Excel. It'll take me years. So that is why we've got a team of young quants. I think we've got about 15 quants across the floor, across all of our strategies, who sit there and make, as Sajad said, not the portfolio manager's lives easier, but make all of our lives easier because ultimately we all need to be investing somehow or the other. So, so I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around that. 120 million data points every single day. Every day, yes. Every yeah. single. Day. That's that's unbelievable. 
So, okay, so, so, so thank you for the, the, the explanation. I, I, I feel intimidated, which is good. That means we've got the right, uh, we've got the right brain power on this, on this uh, recording. So, so now we're, we're talking about uh, the world and, and, and the jargon. I just want to get it out the way. Um, we're, we'll often hear about uh, fixed interest and, uh, and fixed interest instruments or fixed interest funds, et cetera, and, and maybe just a bit of background there. So, so when we're talking about that, what are we really covering? So I think just, just to go back to the various types of asset classes, the, the debt asset class, or as you would have just mentioned now, the fixed interest asset class is a class of, of actual that, that's within the market that where fixed interest instruments are actually issued. And what that simply means is it's government debt, it's corporate sort of debt. It's all different types of debt instruments that investors invest in and in ultimately providing the underlying borrower, whether it's government or the corporations, with these type of instruments. So what we do is we provide loans to buy. We are the investor. We provide loans to these various issuers for over for a over a period where they are either quarterly or monthly or six monthly payments, and then you get your money back right at the end. Obviously, it's not always risk free. There is an element of risk or an element of volatility included, depending on what you're looking at it. But again, these instruments provide you with that periodic stable type returns um, because that's those income or the cash flows that come in each and every period or contractual period that, that you've now negotiated. So, so for someone investing, uh, the, the, the important thing here to understand is that, uh, um, according to me, the, the, this, this side of the investment markets is multiple times bigger than the stock markets. If you, if you look at the, the, these bigger fixed interest or debt markets, uh, you know, wh whether it's South Africa or around the world, it's, it's many times bigger. Uh, and, and it's amazing how much more attention in the, in the media, um, I, I, in, you know, maybe not in the actual investment management space, but certainly in the media, how, how much more attention gets given to, to a share price moving up or down. You know, we yeah. also fixated on Tesla, you know, selling more cars or less cars. And, and then everyone talks about that ad nauseum, but they're not looking at, uh, you know, if there is a Tesla bond uh, and 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 they've issued debt to the market, you know, are they able to pay? And that's that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that side of the of the equation today. Yeah, and I think the reason that I suppose we we operate in a bit more of the boring part of the world, we don't earn upside. So if Tesla um, the share price moves by three, four, five times, we don't benefit from that, and that is probably why our side of the market is not seen as a sexy part of the market. We will buy a Tesla bond or in the South African instance, um, whichever sort of issuer comes to the debt capital markets, we will agree a price or bid at an auction and earn a specific return. And that's the only return that you get. So we are looking at downside protection as opposed to the ability to earn multiples of something that you've invested. And, and to be honest, that's not the sexiest part of um, the market because you're not going to be earning three, four, five times money. But again, that stability is what's a key advantage of our market. You know what you're going to be earning over which period and when you're going to be getting your money back. And that's why I said we need to have these quants and the credit analysts that, again, looking at it from the risk perspective because we need to make sure that we protect downside risk as opposed to considering that upside um, in terms of what you could earn. 
So, so um, um, maybe to bring Sajjad in here, we've got to give him a chance. We, uh, w- yep. When we look at uh, uh, at something like that, you're not, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a silly example because he, I don't think he sets foot in South Africa anymore. But you wouldn't, for example, sit down with Elon Musk and say, uh, t- tell me your story and tell me the prospects for, for your company. Uh, you're, you're looking at other information when you're looking at a, at a bond that a company would issue. What, what are you looking at? Yeah. Um, so from our side, um, what's key to us is being able to pay those interest um, coupons monthly, quarterly, um, semi-annually, as well as being able to pay us back the amount of the loan right at the end of the period, uh, or in some cases, to reduce this, we can have um, contractual payments along the life so you don't have that big lump sum at the end. But we're looking at things like cash flows, um, interest cover ratios. Are you making more than enough money to pay back your interest on an annual basis? Um, are those cash flows in positive or in the case of like Tesla, they're typically burning a lot of cash in that mm. initial growth stage. So it might be a bit more risky as you look at a stable company, something like a retailer. They've got customers shopping there every single day. They've got cash coming in and they have sufficient cash on hand to then pay back um, those loans. So that's something we'll be a bit more comfortable with. They'd get a bit of a better pricing on the interest rate side as opposed to something um, a bit more AC or cyclical, um, to put it that way. So, so we're not really that excited, or, or let's not say excited. We're not that interested, actually, uh, in, in the company's growth prospects, whether they're going to double or treble their their revenue for the next five years. What we're interested in is the revenue that they're earning today, the cash that they're taking out of that revenue. Can they afford to fund the debt and and pay that debt back to us now dur- during you know every six months, and then at the end of the the term, they can give us the capital back that we lent them. So, yeah. Yeah, so so I, I get it why you say it's not sexy, but 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 I do think uh, in in an environment uh, like we're in, where there is so much uncertainty and so much instability with uh, w- within kind of the geopolitics and uh, and economics, that uh, getting getting an investment that uh, can can move differently to the stock market, and I think that's an important point. Uh, but but secondly, that's potentially less risky than the stock market. That to me starts to sound quite attractive, especially when interest rates are are higher than they've been for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, we've seen international evidence as well that you don't even have to give up equities completely and shift into the fixed interest space. You can create a blend of your portfolio and then using those correlations, sometimes negative, sometimes just lower, um, you can then construct a portfolio that's a lot smoother in terms of its return profile um, without having to give up too much on the upside um, just by blending those two together. So so let, let's just talk about that. There's some key phrases there. Uh, return yeah. profile. So so we're taking, uh, I, I mean, very simplistically, we're going to take a bond uh, from one company, um, maybe buy shares in a totally different sector in another company. And what we're saying is when we put those together, that, that uh, one plus one, might get us to two and a quarter because we might lose a bit less if the share goes down. We're still going to get some return from the bond. Yeah. Uh, if the if the share booms, we won't get the growth from the bond portion. But but the two together gives us a bit of a smoother investment ride, a bit more predictable, a bit more stable. So so we get a bit bit of stability, but we're not walking away from full capital growth because we've put yeah. two assets together. Yes. Yeah. yeah so, exactly. So, how do we how do we do that? Uh, I mean, I mean, if we're looking at that in the in, in the investment world, how do you kind of figure out uh, what what will what, where you'll get one investment that uh, will go up while something's going down, or at least kind of protect your capital? How, how do you make those decisions? Um, so what's typically done is you will get an estimate of the volatility of your underlying investment, um, which is essentially how much the returns move either on a daily or monthly or annual basis. 
So you can do that for various equities. You can do that for various bonds, uh, maybe even REITs or listed property, for example. Then you can also look at the historic returns or even forward-looking returns that you'd earn on those asset classes. And once you plot those on a chart where you have your volatility on one axis and your returns on the other, you can then sort of create what we call an efficient frontier, um, which is also um, pretty well known in the finance theory side of things. And then using that frontier, you can get assets that will move not necessarily in the same direction all the time, but they would then offset each other based on their risk return profile. And then using an optimizer, um, which is something we do at present quite often, we can then select that optimal mix of portfolios or mix of instruments quite well to build out your portfolio. So you can target either a certain level of return or you can target a certain level of volatility and then construct the other side um, to match that um, in the investor's favor. If you, if you want me to, just bring it, to, to bring it down one level, literally Please. all you're trying to do is, if you would like a return of X percent, what must your portfolio look like? Or based on your risk tolerance, if you're a young 20 to 30-year-old, you obviously have a very different risk tolerance to somebody who's 50 to 55 that's, that's considering uh, imminent retirement. So you look at what your needs are, and then we'll try to build portfolios that give you that risk profile and also what the potential return profile is. And then we'll have that blend of actual fixed interest instruments, equity instruments, offshore currency and the likes. So you put that all in the pot. But the important part is that generally fixed interest instruments exhibit a negative correlation to your traditional asset classes like your equities. So when equities are booming, it might do something different. Or when there's a sell-off in equities, fixed interest exhibits a, a profile that's very different. And combining those two gives you a smoother journey towards retirement. And that's the important part. So, so when we're talking about negative correlation, in other words, if the stock market's going up, you might find actually that uh, that, that your fixed interest, your, bo your bond portion of your portfolio, your overall is actually going the other way. It might actually be making money. It, uh, not always, but, but, but that's what we're talking about. If, it, if one's going left, the other one's uh, potentially going right when, when we're talking about negative cor correlation. Uh, and when you put those together, uh, th th then you're hoping that uh, in down times, the, the, the thing that uh, is losing money um, will, will be kind of offset by the other part of your portfolio where, where it's going up. And there's no guarantee that any of us are sitting here today to say, we know that in the next 12 months, it's going to be shares that are going down uh, and bonds going up or the other way around. We don't know. But the, the idea then is put the two together. Uh, and, and then when life happens, whatever it is, some part of your portfolio might be losing money, but some part will be making money. And over time, you, you, you get a more kind of predictable investment outcome. Exactly that. And I think Sajjad just touched on it, is that our research and even international research by one of the most preeminent um, investing groups out there, Vanguard, shows that the inclusion of fixed interest instruments helps you with diversity and it actually reduces the volatility of your earnings. I think that is very, very important. Diversity, like we said, is one of the only free lunches out there. And if you build your portfolios accordingly, you can have a smoother journey towards retirement. And that is ultimately what we want to give our clients. So, so let's just talk a little bit about, uh, about uh, credit now, because to me, it's not really spoken about much. And, and uh, you know, we're in the world of uh, maybe we understand we've heard the R186 or R whatever it's going to be in the future, government <laughs> yeah. bonds. But we don't talk a lot uh, about company credits. And, and to me, um, it, it could be something that where you may be getting a bit of a potentially better return, but, but then you're taking on company risk. And now I'm saying to myself, 
are we are we kind of are we now going to gambling or are we, or is this kind of safe as houses? Where are we in this? Um, cool. So I mean, from from you just mentioned the R one eight six for example. So that's a government bond um, that's maturing in twenty twenty six for example. Uh, so we've got about three years to maturity and it's fixed rate. What you can then do is if you go to the corporate side of things, um, they typically use that government curve as a benchmark. Um, so then for that additional credit risk that you're taking on by lending to a company specifically, they will give you an extra, let's say, a percent, um, for example, on top of that R186 bond. So for the exact same term to maturity to investment horizon, you'll get that pickup for your credit risk. But embedded in that also is your liquidity risk premium. So your government bonds obviously trade much more frequently, especially in South Africa, where the credit market um, still building up that liquidity as the market grows. So with that additional return, if you are a buy-to-hold investor, um, which we typically are, you can then lock in that return for that three, four-year horizon, outperforming your government bonds, um, potentially even less or similar levels of volatility, assuming that credit spread doesn't move. Um, and the credit spread I'm referring to is that pickup you get um, for taking on that risk. And then that... <clears throat> If you combine that with your government bond portfolio, you can then get enhanced returns above the government bond index, for example. Um, and then taking that one step further, combining those with equities, and you get that smoother return profile, um, as we mentioned. You already so, gave so a real-life example, Warren. So the credit space um, is where we as investors provide corporations, state-owned entities, or anyone that is a borrower with a loan. That is what we're doing. Okay. And then, as you mentioned earlier, we look at the, the health or the actual sustainability of cash flows and the likes to see if they can pay us back. That is what credit is, and that is what we do on the daily. So, so in 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 a situation like that, uh, I mean, the, the the that's where the analysis gets key, right? Is you're 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 not simply just lending uh, uh, money to anybody that asks. You're you're going in to say, uh, you know, over and above taking the risk of 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 of. Of giving money to the or lending money to the government, now we're taking company risk, so we're going to do proper homework uh, and and be very sure that uh, that extra one percent or, or so uh, return that we're getting, we're, we're we're being paid to take a little bit of uh, work, but maybe the risk is not as much as people think out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 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 what happens? Uh, I mean, no no nobody, not even the Springboks are perfect. So so what happens when, when things go wrong with a company and 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 you've you've got their their credit uh, instrument, you you own their their their, their debt. Uh, who who gets money first, you or or the shareholder? Someone who's bought their share. So I think you have to understand in in normal theory there is a capital structure. So depending on what type of instrument you buy, it depends if there's a default, who gets money first or who gets money last. So we tend to purchase senior unsecured bonds in the debt capital markets. And that what, means, what that means is that we generally rank right on top, but we don't have security. So that is what we do. So most of the bonds issued in debt capital markets are senior unsecured. That ranks ahead of equity, ranks ahead of mezzanine or subordinated type instruments if there is a default. So I think the only where there's a little bit of a difference is if you're playing in the bilateral market or the unlisted market, you generally get security as well. And that is the only time that somebody would rank ahead. So if there is a default, you actually want to know that your manager has actually dealt with defaults or restructures before and tried to get the company on a solid footing again. Sometimes it requires equity to be injected. In the like worst case, you need bondholders to take a little bit of a hit. 
But all of that is how you want to actually firstly get the company in a, on a better footing and rework the capital structure so that you can potentially, the company can continue as a going concern. If you can't see a future of a company, then it would go into either insolvency proceedings, business rescue, or debtors or us as funders would take that security, sell it, and try to get our money back. But it's again, okay. it's quite an intricate process. Um, and that is why we make sure that we not only look at the health of the company, but we have a legal resource that actually looks at the contracts between the borrower and lender to make sure that all of our rights are protected. So I think it's an important point. When you buy a share in a business and you buy it on the stock exchange uh, and it goes south, uh, um, and if it really goes bad, your, your, your share might be worth nothing. And that's just tough luck. That's, that's life. Uh, but when you own... When you earn a debt, uh, the debt of the company, and as you say, if it's senior and structured, that means you've got quite a lot of recourse to to at least recouping, if not all of the money, some of the money, and 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 maybe not all at once, but over time. Uh, yeah. and, and that's that's often why for 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 people out there, when you you wonder why is it that I've got nothing back for my shares and things went wrong, but the the debt the holders suddenly own the company. That's what we're talking about. This is exactly. Uh, the, the the reason is because you've got if you're the debt holder that senior and uh, unsecured debt is the deal. You you are first in line. Uh, everyone yeah. else stands behind you. Yeah, that is correct. But it takes a lot of work for us to actually get that company on better footing, or ultimately to pull the plug and put that that company into business rescue. So again, it, it's we operate in a very intricate place, and then very importantly. We try to, while we're trying to minimize that downside, we're only earning the coupon. And that is why we're buying those instruments with those type of characteristics like senior secured or senior unsecured. Because you know that if something goes wrong, at least you can sell that and recoup your capital at the end of the day. Um, so, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Conway. Conway, we're running out of time and I'm desperate to, to ask two more questions. One, uh, the, the, just, just the, the, the state of this this uh, credit market, it's not something that gets talked a lot, a, a lot about. So, so while I've got you, I want to I want to uh, 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 kind of get all the information I can. What, what's the state of the SA market now? This credit market. Oh, I'll take that one. Um, so, at present, being a systematic house, we've systematized our view on the credit market. So, where our starting point is is our credit cycle indicator. So we take various macroeconomic variables, um, so things like in, um, consumer sentiment, business sentiment, uh, CPI or inflation, the exchange rate, and then we try and match those up to default probabilities. So we've also got our own in-house default probability assessment. So when we issue a loan to a company, we need to know what is the probability they're going to default over the next year, next two years, next three years. So we try and match up those variables so that without having to wait for financial statements to be released like every year, we can then look at what are the economic variables looking at right now, what are those telling us, and we can then form a view on the credit market. So keep taking that, and then also the returns you earn within the credit space, you're looking at your spreads over either government bonds um, or even over three-month JIBA, for example, floating rate instruments. We compare the two, and we can see, are you getting sufficient return for the amount of risk that we're seeing in the credit market at the moment? And the picture over the past year, has pretty much been one of deteriorating credit conditions, um, things such as Lady Art um, coming into the fray, load shedding, the very tough economic environment with spreads continuing to tighten. Once we um, overlay those two together, we've sort of been borderline between neutral and somewhat negative on the credit space at the moment. But that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities out there. Um, for example, if you look at our high-yield credit fund, the present Income Plus fund, we are pretty much top quartile within the multi-asset income space um, with over 100 funds. 
So we are able to use our systematic um, expertise to look at how things are at the moment. You can then use that to find um, certain opportunities we believe can add value. And it doesn't mean that because we're in a neutral to negative um, view on the credit market that we can't generate returns because we very much can do so with the expertise of our own credit team. Okay, so so we're in a situation where the th- things are not all well, and I think it doesn't uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out in in the in the credit market, but but uh, understanding that the whole market is is not in the in the best space doesn't mean that one can't take uh, advantage of some nice opportunities when you find them. Okay. Uh, so so uh, thank you, and, and now uh, Sajad, we've we've got our favourite question for uh, for new guests to the show. Conway's already had the the the, the privilege of this. Uh, so so if you were to 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 meet your eighteen year old self um, with the benefit of the experience that you've got now, uh, what would be the one life lesson that you would like to teach yourself? Um, I think it's pretty much don't be afraid to take chances when they come up. Um, if you see an opportunity to either learn something or to do something. Jump on it, seize with both hands, and then make as much of it as you can. Um, and that will set you up better for the rest of your life. Fantastic. I think that's a, a lovely way to close. Thank you so much. I think we're close to our record for the longest podcast ever. It's been really good. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, I, think our, I think our listeners has, uh, have, have learned as have I. And, and uh, th- thank you so much. Thanks, cool. guys. Thanks. Thanks to you. Brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science, guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. 